Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks Remote Learning Expert Edition. Homie, I was taught by Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm Jim Starr, your co-host, and I'm joined with Andrea Parker. I'm glad to see you again. Always, even if it's remote, Jim. Even if it's remote, that's as good as it's going to get for now, I guess. As good as it's going to get. We got to make it work. And we still haven't learned how not to talk over each other, even though we should be doing this by, pretty well by now. I know. It, it'll come. We're um, we almost so. at mastery. We are developing. We're going to get to mastery really soon. Oh, wow. We're going to have a reach evaluation right here on the air, huh? Well, Maybe. And speaking of mastery, we're going to be interviewing or talking to Walter Taylor, who is a director of professional development for the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation Quest Center. And he's going to tell us what remote learning should look like and how it should be done. That's right. And we definitely need to get some of that going because I think we're going to be doing this for another minute or two, at least. Yes, at least to June 18th. I know. That's kind of crazy, right? We're going to have the whole rest of the year doing remotely. I know. So what is one of the um, platforms you use, Jim, for your remote learning? Well, one of the things I've started using now is the Google Meet, which is a little weird. Why is that? Well, it's just, you know, the the kids, they're popping on all the time and popping out. And I will say the funniest thing is nobody wants their picture, their video up. Oh, yeah, so true. That's true. One of them accidentally put it up and then her hair was all messed up and Uh she was super mad and everybody laughed and... She took her picture down real quick. I've had that too. Um, they they join, they show that picture by accident and they say, oops, and then they click yep. <laughs> high video. Yep. I, I will say one thing that's um, been kind of a benefit is the kids are actually pretty good about taking their turns on Google Meet. Okay. They never like that in class. Never like they just talk over each other. They just talk louder if somebody's already talking. Right. But online, for whatever reason, they know they know how to do it. Um, probably also helps that I have a mute button. So that, uh, that I was just hurt. gonna say that like you can <laughs> mute them. They talking too much. Absolutely. Yep, that's a big. Pl- I wish I had that in the classroom. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Just I like, know, hmm. right? It would anyway. be. All right. Well, without well, any we further ado, we probably do. get to Walter Taylor. Yes, yeah. because he's waiting. Here we go. have a guest in the building and this special guest is Walter Taylor who is the director of professional development for the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation and what is so wonderful about Mr. Taylor is he knows remote learning this is his business this is what he does he directs professional development in person and remotely so he knows what remote learning should look like so uh, Mr. Taylor can you just talk to us a little bit about what is um, professional development look like and what do you do with the Chicago Teachers Union? So, first of all, thank you all so much for having me on CTU Speaks. Yes, thank you this for coming. It's a real honor for me. Um, as you mentioned, I am the Director of Professional Development for the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation Quest Center, um, one of the first teachers unions to have a professional development arm. Nice. Um, yes. Right? As you, that's how we as roll you, here. Yes. That's how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, um, professional development is union work. Um, We have been around for 30 years. Now, I have a team of people that um, actually work with me, um, and we do some incredible work. 
Um, we do anything from um, reach PDs to help teachers with their you know, evaluations all the way to um, social emotional learning and everything in between. You actually came out to King to do a thing on social emotional learning a year or two ago. That's right. That's yep, right. I remember you coming I, out there. And I remember you as well. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so whilst we know that uh, your professional development that you and your team provides can be in person and it can be remotely. Now, let's talk about remote learning because we know that right now um, CPS schools are teaching remotely. That's their platform right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So just tell us what is needed for remote learning to be successful. So, you know, couple of things. I would say three things in particular. One is um, content. And when I say content, I mean, there's a lot of information out there, but it really takes um, a professional to really be able to carefully make sure that the information that is being utilized is steeped in best practices um, that is aligned to what teachers are supposed to know, understand, and be able to do. Another aspect would be communication. uh, when we're talking about remote learning in particular. So just like, though, in a face-to-face classroom, Mm -hmm. a teacher would need to decide when and how to deliver instruction, um, be it whole class, be it small groups, or even individual instruction. The exact same is true for um, remote learning. In addition to that, um, something that one might call control Control, and what I mean when I say control is, control is kind of like the the art and science of teaching. This is kind of what, in many ways, a master teacher will be able to do. They will be able to control the content that I mentioned before, the learning experiences, and the time that one is using, particularly when we're talking about remote learning. So... Most teachers are not trained to transfer necessarily those skills from the classroom to the remote learning or the other way around as well. So we have to be really intentional about how we are um, laying out our professional development. Um, If one has experience teaching online and having access to the right tools online, this could be, you know, this could make a tremendous difference um, in terms of how successful the remote learning would be. We have to understand that online learning is much more than just accessing content. Um, We have to check for deeper understanding, you know, because we know that it's more difficult to actually assess remotely (laughs) than it is face-to-face, right? Absolutely, yeah. So in addition to all of that, maybe the most important thing is we take into consideration the experience of the remote learning, him or herself. Like what has there been what what has their experience been with remote learning? We cannot just assume that our clientele knows how to navigate this type of learning experience. We must um, assess the information via a survey or some questionnaire um, and use that data to aid us in responsibly and responsibly developing learning activities for the teachers. So when you think about the learner, and we know that basically with CPS, we have children learners and they're navigating remote learning. What considerations need to be taken in place for the children or the child learner? Well, that's a great question because the learner is always the primary focus. Right. Um, We we have to be responsive to them, uh, which basically means we have to be flexible in our design and our delivery of the lessons. Right. Um, we, I think it's really important that we have 
kind of two-way feedback. So we should intentionally take pauses and take into account where the learner is or sometimes where the learner is not Mm. and adjust accordingly, right? Um, For some of our members and even for students in particular, um, they may not have ever truly experienced um, the online remote learning before. So we have to strategically plan for that and, and be mindful that as we navigate through this, that we are pausing to make sure that students are, you know, kind of up to par, up to speed as we go on. Well, how does that, how is that even possible with the digital divide that we've got here in the city of Chicago? I mean, CPS says that they're trying to hand out 100,000 or 110,000 laptops to students. And um, as of last week, they were, according to their own numbers, only halfway through that. And who knows how many of those are functional or have problems with them. So how do we do all of what you just said, given that a good 20%, 30% of our students may not have access? That's a great question. It's kind of a two-part question. So I'll, I'll address the digital divide part first. So remote learning has revealed that the digital divide is real. Not that mm-hmm. we did not know that before, but quite frankly, now I think it's... Now everybody knows. Right. The cat's out of the bag. <laughs> you know, Quite frankly, it's um, emblematic, I think, of kind of the, well, what I call the savage inequalities that have existed for many, 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 many years, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we can, we, you know, from a historical point of view, we can really go back, you know, we can go back to slavery, Jim Crow, and even the kind of redlining that we see today. Right. Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In this day and age, we know that um, thousands of our students do not have um, broadband internet access. Right. Why? Because their families cannot afford it, mm-hmm. right? And so this this novel virus, this pandemic, um, COVID-19, has really put a brighter light on this fact. Every student, and this is Walter saying, this is what I believe, every student and their family ought to have broadband for free if they can't afford it. Right. After all, right, this is public yep. education. Hey, that's <laughs> true. That's true. This is Jim and but, Andrea saying it too. We agree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And and so the way I see it is that it should be part of the packet or package, right, that every student and every student's family receives. It's kind of like a given. Right. Um, And then to answer your second part of your question about um, the 100,000 or so laptops that are being passed out to the students, is that enough? Well, you know, let's say this. Let me start by saying this. Those laptops, those Chromebooks are needed for sure, without a doubt. Um, But... Um, as I stated about the internet access, that ought to be something that goes along with the giving of out of these Chromebooks. Otherwise, Although, there's no point. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, it's completely, <laughs> completely ineffective and pointless. Um, and so what is more, um, you know, these electronic devices are loaded with what? There should be programs that are specifically geared toward the grade level, the developmental level, mm-hmm. and the subject areas for which the students will be learning. What's on these Chromebooks would be my question. Um, and I have to say, in addition to that, um, we know that many students don't even have the basics. So books, papers, writing utensils, those things are also needed. So those should be passed out as well. And whether we want to face it or not, many of our families don't um, have the food that they need to sustain themselves. So it would be kind of 
silly to assume that they would have other materials, right? If they don't even have life-sustaining food, for example, they certainly would not have high-tech devices and internet access. That is true. And I think I think it's very important. Uh, somebody had said before that these laptops just should have been given out to every child in the beginning because there are some assignments, even when you are in class instruction, that may require you to go online and to research and to write papers on Google Docs or Microsoft Word. And so these things should have already been passed out. That way you could have at least alleviated some of the problem before it happened. And I mean, exactly. these kids, they don't, they don't, if they don't have a computer, it's very unlikely they know how to use one. So even if we did give them broadband and we did have a functioning Chromebook with the programs on it that they need, that doesn't mean they know how to access any of them. Exactly. Um, this is something that should have been done a long, long time ago. These, right. these are just devices that should have been given to the students before this pandemic. Correct. Oh, yeah. And so, um, Walter, beyond the hardware and the software and the high-speed internet service, um, what else can affect equity uh, when, they rec- when it comes to remote learning with our students? Well, we know that many of our students have parents that also have not experienced um, um, remote learning. Right. So to aid, it's, it's difficult for the parents to be able to assist their their children um, in this at this particular time. So that, and, and there are some parents who obviously, you know, work with computers, have computers, and they, they understand all of this. But then there are certain segments of our population that do not. And so this only kind of serves to further um, really um, exacerbate the problem of these kind of savage inequalities. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, really, that's really key. Uh, but also, some families have, you know, many students or many, children, many, yeah. many number of children that, that, right? So how do, how do they get on to the device or how do they have enough, you know, broadband to actually, you know- to Accommodate be, all these um, children. 100% right. Accommodate the, the kids that they have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's also an issue that I don't think has really been thought about oh, yeah. or thought through you know, fully. Yeah. And I was just also thinking about just um, um, ESL learners or English as second language learners and just parents who um, maybe they're new to this country and not be able to speak English well and don't have those resources and everything maybe is in English and it's hard to be able to navigate some things when you don't have the language in which your assignments are. So just got to think about that language barrier and how teachers got to work even harder just to make sure that they have material and content for students so they can be able to uh, meet the needs of those uh, ESL students. And even even going further than that, Andrea, you're right. You know, the, the English language learners, certainly, but also our students, our special ed population. Yes, you know, absolutely. They, they haven't really been thought about, during, you know, in this particular Correct. time. Our home, our homeless population. Homeless population, yes. I mean, we could go on and, and, oh, on, yeah. and on. That's true. And, and you know... And, even with the, the regular ed population, what, what are they going to do if there's a technological problem? Um, you know, just before this podcast, Andrea and I were trying to figure out why was, she was having trouble connecting her microphone to Zoom. <laughs> but who do we, who do you, right? <laughs> so not to put you on the spot there, Miss Parker. Thank you. But uh, yeah, you know, a little shout out for you. But, you know, where, where are the kids going to go if, if they can't log on or they you know, this, the software crashed or they couldn't get into the Google Meet or whatever. There's, there's really no real plan for how that's going to work. 
Exactly. And, you know, and to add on to that, you know, thinking about some of the elements that CPS has also missed when implementing um, (laughs) this remote learning. Um, There are many, but, you know, some (laughs) of the others are like, you know, I was speaking to some of my teacher friends and, you know, like my counselors and social worker friends, and they are saying that they haven't really been given any clear direction in terms of what it is that they should be doing Mm. At this particular time, right? You know, which really kind of startled me and 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 made me think this this is the complete opposite of what should be happening. This is a time when, um, during a crisis, that we need our social workers and our counselors right. in particular yes. to yep. be working right to be working with our students because we know that the mental, social, emotional health during this time is primary. There oh, will yeah. be no real effects of learning happening if we haven't even dealt with the social emotional aspect of this. I, that's so that's so true, Walsh, because right now we're in a pandemic, so we're in a crisis right now. And children and parents, but especially children, are learning how to cope in a crisis. And a lot of those needs are not being dealt with from a professional standpoint. Not at all. And that's really, that's really um, worrying me because I wonder, you know, what type of effect this will have long term long term on our students yeah absolutely right so think about the parents now because um parents are now kind of like the teachers at home they're like the facilitators so and that's one of their roles so how critical during remote learning walter is the parent or the caregiver you know let me start by saying that parents are always critical in the in the learning um process absolutely and uh, especially now, right? And the parents that I know are doing a really good job. They're doing the best that they can considering the circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know this is not easy. However, you know, during the, this particular time, I think there are some key components to the roles that a parent can play. For one, I think that parents can really help establish a routine because we know that during this time and this crisis mode that we're in, a routine is the furthest thing from many of our parents and our students' minds, right. even our, even oh, our yeah. minds, mm-hmm. to be honest, right? <laughs> but it's crucial that that routine be established because we know that that's really effective when it comes to, to learning. That's, I think that may be first and you know foremost, but also I think that the, the parents can continue to partner and work with um, the teachers in order to really um, kind of raise up the level of quality of teaching and learning that's happening during this remote, you know, learning mm-hmm. period that we're in. Um, I also think that parents can, you know, ask questions, be be inquisitive, you know, figure out how they can even help even more than what they're doing. You know, be flexible mm-hmm. because this is this is new for everybody. Right. <laughs> this is new for the students. This is new for the teachers. This is new for the parents. So, you know, being flexible is definitely something that is needed now. And then maybe last but not least is to remain maybe positive. Right. Because we, we want um, our students. They're already suffering from you know, this crisis. We want there to be like positive energy and, you know, constructive feedback praising the students, their children, when they're, you know, online and doing their assignments. I think those those simple but very important things should be done. Yeah, that's true. I've got friends that are parents um, of CPS students as well as teachers. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, ourselves as teachers, we're, 
we're educated to teach a certain grade level or a certain subject. And, you know, if my student is my own kid was that age, that's great. But, you know, I'm a high school government teacher. What, what am I going to do if they're in Miss Parker's class? I, I don't know how to teach, teach a middle school kid. I don't know. Or we just we interviewed some uh, teachers earlier that were uh, pre-K. I don't know how to teach a pre-K student. I mean, I might want to. Um, you know, they're my kid, but I don't know how. And I think this really shows how important in-person learning and in-person teaching is. Oh, yes. Irreplaceable. Versus this remote. That's right. That's the word I would use. Irreplaceable. It cannot be substituted for. There is no, there's, there's not a replacement for that. No, definitely not. And I think this is a great example of that. And just, you know, my friends that have three or four kids at home and they're trying to teach, you know, second grade science and seventh grade English and 12th grade Spanish all in the same time period. Like, I don't know how they're getting through that. I'm glad my kids are all grown and out of the house. Me too. My son just graduated. We (laughs) just missed it. (laughs) All right. But we have one last question for you, Walter. Thank you for um, all your professional judgment um, in this conversation, but we definitely need you and your feedback. Um, so now we are in the beginning of the fir- in the fourth quarter. And so we are like the home run stretch uh, when it comes to this school year. So even though we're not in the perfect system, what are your thoughts of- about grading and the balance of having our kids be accountable, but also knowing that everybody does not have the same uh, advantages of technology or parents with certain school expertise or expertise on the subject matter? So how do we balance you know, giving the kids a grade versus not giving them a grade versus only using them, giving a grade that improves it. Like, what do we do in this time? What's like, what would you consider like the best method uh, when it comes to grading right now? So that's a, that's a great question and a difficult one um, because we know that traditional grading is difficult to do without this current situation right. we find ourselves in. That's true. Um, however, now it's, you know, inordinately hard to do. Um so my thought is on grade on the grading situation is a is a I have a couple of thoughts here. So one, we have to grade with what one might call empathy for the reasons that you just mentioned, right? There are students who don't have access. There are students who don't have guardians and parents to really assist them. All of that. But if you if for me, if if I were to really be honest, I would say in this situation, no grade should be given at all. Right. How can one give a grade? How can one give a grade? I would much rather see, to be honest, like really good feedback instead of grades. Right. Because one thing that we know and research has kind of bared this out is that a grade doesn't necessarily advance student achievement. It actually can be somewhat stagnating, okay. right? It can stagnate because once you give an A, it's like, well, where do I go from here? Mm. But really good feedback will always provide, you know, some options for students to do better, to right. think about this a little bit more, right? And we also know, you know, during this time that if we were to grade someone, it would only further penalize the students who are low income, the students who don't have the digital devices, the students who don't have the broadband internet access, the students that don't have parents or a guardian to help them at home. It seems completely unfair to me to even consider um, grading at this time. We can, we, can, we can do better than that. We can be more creative and more empathetic at this time. 
Um, I just think that providing grades right now would just serve to further um, injure an already marginalized, subjugated, and battered population, meaning the poor, the homeless, the ELLs, and the hosts of others. Well, that's a great note to end it on. And there you have it, Walter Taylor, Director of Professional Development with the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation Quest Center. Thank you for your professional insight. Thank you so much. And again, I hope the powers that be will listen and just take things into consideration when making some decisions on behalf of our kids. Thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate it. all for our new listeners and our loyal listeners for listening to our podcast remote learning expert edition i hope you learned something today from walter taylor who told us how it should be done and what should be done when it comes to remote learning of the pre-k through 12 population because they are a different group than college students and adult learners and don't forget to contact us if you got any questions or requests or you just want to yell at us about something. You can call us at 312-467-8888. Or if you feel like putting it down in writing so it's down there forever, you can email us at ctuspeaks at ctulocal1.org. And you can also share us on your favorite social media platform, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Twitter. I don't know. Are there other Snapchat, ones? Snapchat, like, whatever you do. Snapchat. People still snap? I don't know. I never I snapped. Know. I never snapped either. All right. <laughs> yeah. If they All still right, do well, it, put you. us on there too. Absolutely. Even they got MySpace, put us on there too. Yeah, we'll MySpace. That'd be fun. Yeah, Napster. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Thank you all, all right. for listening, and you'll be hearing from us soon. Very soon. <laughs>